Hello, and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, a show where we talk about tabletop games and gaming topics of all kinds. This week, we're talking about games with random starting setups. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Every game of chess starts with the same setup, but what if you randomly placed the pieces on the board at the start of each game? Okay, that might not work for chess, but many games do call for a bit of randomness before you even start playing. How do random setups affect the strategy and replayability of these games? For co-op games, how does this affect the overall difficulty? When do we like or not like random setups in games? But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, Michael Finley, Listener Doug, and the Gift of Games and Grace Lake. Huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. And I know I wrote that bit, but I really want to try random setup chess now, um, just because. There's actually a game that uh, you can download on, for, on the App Store. I think it's called Really Bad Chess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called Really Bad Chess. And it's not like all the pieces are randomly set up, but like... Um, you'll have some of the pieces and you, you don't, you don't have the same setup every time. It kind of like progresses in levels where you have like this amount of pieces or they're like this amount of pieces and they're all kind of like scattered all over the place. And the objective is the same to like checkmate the other side. I think it'd be kind of fun. Uh, I actually yeah. heard about a couple variants of chess where, cause they, they were talking about teaching people chess and like, how do you teach people chess without making them so intensely frustrated that you just keep beating them, but also don't have to feel like you're just letting them win. And one of them was, um, let your opponent choose your pieces. So they just give you like, here's some of your pieces. And the other <laughs> one that I really liked was zombie chess. So you play one game and then you only get to play with the pieces you lost, but you swap the board. So the more pieces you lose, the better you are. The more pieces you have in the next game. game. I like that. Yeah. All that's even before I talk about joining us for live recordings on 8.30 Monday nights. Uh, You guys know how to do that. (laughs) Check the show notes, Discord, PGA groups. Check the show notes. We do all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, TGTCon 2. I'm not going to skip over this because it's coming. It's like three weeks away. About three weeks, a little less than three weeks, actually. Um, we have TGTCon 2, February 17th, 17th at 6 p.m. Central Time. We will be starting, and it's going to be 30 hours of gaming fun. We end Saturday at midnight. If you are signed up, mm, let's see, this podcast drops on the 31st. If you're signed up by the end of today then you will be entered in a, and for, signed up for at least one game, you'll be entered in a special early bird door prize drawing that will happen that weekend if you play your game, or at least play a game. Um, and you can win a $100 gift card to wherever basically you want. And anyone who shows up and plays two games will be entered in a $100 gift card drawing. And anyone who hosts a game. So if you go to tabletopevents.com, uh, link in the show notes. I think it's just tabletop.events. Don't read it. Click on it. Don't listen to my words. Um, that's a good rule of thumb in general. But anyone who hosts a game will also be entered in a drawing for a $100 gift card. This drawing is probably going to have the smallest number of people. So really, just host a game. Host host one game and you're entered in that contest. So, or that not a contest, but drawing. And yeah, I'm giving you money to play games for a weekend. Have at it. Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I have not signed up for any games. I'm going to do that tomorrow. 
I'm going to put it on my top of my list. Um, I, I've been told I have to join a particular Railroad Inc. Not Railroad Inc. Um, Great Western Trail. I'm into railroad games lately. I think that's my thing. There's only um, one spot left in that game. Oh, but I there's lots right of spots now, left in lots of other games. Yeah, do it before you told everyone that you need to do it. All right. Be, you guys will not even be able to do this because I'll already be have signed up for this uh, particular event. And I am definitely running a seminar Saturday, Friday night, Friday night on how to how to play, but more importantly, how to play well at Great Western Trail. I'm not an expert. I the I I do well by playing against people who don't know how to play the game as well as I do, and <laughs> it's really just all about the friends you keep as how well you look you know to yourself. So yeah, but I will I will try to give some tips and tricks to how. To, you know, play this game, what it is, it's in my top five. One of these days I will actually rank my top five, but I love this game. It is thematic. It is every component under, or every type of mechanism you can think of, all jammed into one game, but somehow it comes out in such an elegant way, and I love it. So that is uh, Tabletop Game Talk Con 2 this February. It's going to be this February, this February 17th. It's going to be fun. Also, that's the weekend before my birthday. So come and join me and play a game for my birthday. Um, let's see what else is going yeah. on. Yeah. Kitty and family. <sighs> should I call you out on the podcast or should I do that? Because I didn't call you out pre-show, but I feel like I should call you out. And it's not really calling you out. It's calling Spencer out. And he doesn't even listen. Yeah, he doesn't care. <laughs> Kitty's giving me this look. So we decided to go to the Wisconsin Dells for Zachary's birthday. And then we decided not to do that because it was expensive. And we're like, ah, we'll just go to Chuck E. Cheese's instead. And then Spencer's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, he basically said, no, wait, you can get really good deals. I'm like, well, it's expensive. Like, okay, fine. If you really have your heart set on it, we'll, we'll book some time. So we got a room for two nights and we were going to meet Kitty and Spencer and family up there. And we drove up there in a snowstorm and drove back in a snowstorm. And Kitty, where were you that weekend? Um, <laughs> our daughter was ill <laughs> in a way we'll that would have been exceedingly that. gross at a water park. <laughs> that is fair. It would have been exceedingly <laughs> gross at a water park. No, but we had a good time. Um, we only stayed out Friday night. We actually came back Saturday morning because the room... Mm, I had some issues with it, but um, mostly that just the noise and you could hear everything that was happening above us and outside the door. And it was just really loud. But it's uh, wild. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a wild place. It's a wild place. But Zachary wanted to go down a green water slide. And it was a very tall green water slide that you sit on a, like a double tube to go down. And so I sat him in the front and I sat behind and I was freaked out on like this this thing was i was probably freaked out because he was there and like you go up on the sides and you're like okay we're gonna fall over the edge and we're all gonna die um all of that was fine we got to the bottom and then the entire two-person inner tube flips over and i'm underwater not touching the like the floor at all like this is deep water and have no sight of my four-year-old child who just turned four and is now drowning someplace in at the bottom of this water slide. So that kind of freaked me out as I stood up immediately and grabbed him and picked him up. And he, and he looks at me, he's like, I don't want to do that again. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he then said, I want to go to a play place without water. <laughs> I'm like, that's fair, kid. That's fair. 
So that was my weekend. Um, Fletcher, how was your weekend? Um, good. I was waiting for you guys to play Great Western Trail all weekend. That's what I <laughs> sat around doing. Don't even start. <laughs> you spent, it took you, you have like negative time on that game. It took you four days to take <laughs> so your first turn. negative time. <laughs> it did not take me four days to make my first turn. I did my first turn the day after we started the game, and I was doing one turn a day up until, uh, I think, Friday or the weekend. And the weekend, I said this in the pre-show, but the weekend I was like, all right, I can sit down and I have, you know, the world is my oyster. I can I can play this game all day. Took my first turn at 9 a.m. and then nothing. And I wasn't <laughs> able to take my next turn until 9.30 p.m. on Saturday. And I was like, okay, great. So it's not me. Welcome to my world when I'm like, yeah, See, four Chris, days during to take the your day, first turn. Monday through Friday, I'm at work. I'm working. I'm doing well, things. And I will s- attention is not on playing board games. I will say many of our listeners uh, do a good job at taking a lot of turns during the workday. I think we're all kind of in the same boat. We're like, yeah. Uh, we're working, but that doesn't mean we can't have a little side screen up here taking our turns. I don't. Uh, I don't have that kind of time. I am literally in whiplash between meetings all day. I am in a, me- a lot of meetings. Annoying. Yeah, my this is that's how I play BGA. Is between meetings, I'll like take a break and look at the screen. I, I don't I'll, have a between meetings. I have. I'm, I'm usually triple booked throughout the entire day, and it's like, why aren't you in this meeting? It's like, well, because I have two other meetings at the same time, and I. I can't be at three three meetings at once. My trick to this is I check out, so I log in, you know, dial into the meetings, and then I go to my BGA. So that works too. <laughs> um, checking out for this game, and all right, I am now. I guess it's Friday night. Friday night, nine p.m. Great Western Trail, and Kitty is in this game as well. I think, right? I think so. I'm in right, a Great Western Trail. I don't think there's that many of them. It is me, you, Stephen, and Ashley. So bring it. Um, Fletcher, sign up for a Great Western Trail. All right. Now that the important stuff is out of the way, let's talk about (laughs) Dungeons & Dragons. Yay. In the the ongoing saga. Do you guys know what the result? There's a result of this ongoing saga. I do only because I saw the update. Oh, (laughs) Because you read the show notes. That's because I read yeah, the that's show my notes. test. <laughs> so for those who have not been listening to us for the last three episodes, um, Dungeons and Dragons, Big Kerfuffle, Wizard of the Coast, making everyone mad, open gaming license. Oh no. Okay, backtrack it. We'll do this other open gaming license. And what do you guys think about this one? Oh, okay. Twelve thousand people told us it sucked. Um, all right, never mind. We won't change the OGL. So that is where we're at right now. Wizards of the Coast has decided that they're not going to make any changes to the open gaming license. And they have also released the system reference document, which is the 400-page basic rules document of D&D to the Creative Commons license, which they can't undo. Once you're in Creative Commons, you're kind of stuck there. So that document is now, you can just use the Creative Commons license to make fifth edition content for D&D if you'd like to. And, or you can use the original open gaming license, which I don't know why anyone would want to use anymore. Um, my question, and I'm sure Christopher um, is asking the same thing. Actually, he's like, I imagine the money you could get out of that lawsuit. Um, yeah, I think honestly they backed out of the OGL change because 
enough people question whether or not they even could in the first place change a perpetual license and say, oh, never mind, that perpetual license is no longer perpetual. But in any case, um, it is, it's sort of been settled until 6th edition comes out, and then we'll see what happens here. Uh, I don't know. I hope D&D doesn't die, but oh man, did Wizards step in it for on this one. But anyway, that is the conclusion of our OpenGL, Open Gaming License Drama, which Open affects GL. almost nobody, but it's the OpenGL. Um, but now, I don't know, now that it's under Creative Commons, I'm like, maybe I'll write a D&D supplement. That'd be fun, kind of fun. Um, no, I'm not going to do that. I have enough things. I have to paint 200 Marvel miniatures for reasons unknown. Uh, that's a whole different thing. All right, Kitty, how's stuff? I'm creating events for... TGTCon, sorry. Uh, I can't participate re- right now. You realize <laughs> that there are times to create events, and then there are times to talk on the podcast. So, Fletcher, you're not creating an event right now, are you? Nope, I am not. All right, so how are you? <laughs> Didn't we go over this? <laughs> we did. We are now going to go... We're, we're at our main topic. Um, let's talk I, feel about like, main I topic. feel like I already went on this ride. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got all thrown off because we actually threw a decent amount of random chess setup between in the intros. And I'm like, uh, where are we at again? Um, random, yeah. huh? Random. That segues nicely into our topic today. Yeah. So today I wanted, actually last week, I wanted to talk about virtual tabletops, uh, a subject that nobody is interested in, including my co-host. And so this <laughs> week... <laughs> So this week, I was going to be like, okay, we could do virtual tabletops. But then I became not interested in it this week. Um, uh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I was like, eh, whatever. Even this host is not interested in this Even, topic. Yeah. So it's all across the board. Um, there is definitely a topic there. We'll do it at some point. But, eh, you know, whatever. And then I accidentally went on Board Game Geek and found out I had like 500 unread you know, subscriptions and stuff. And so I just clicked right, you know, Marcus read for all of them because you can't really go through all those. And then I started looking at the Marvel United forums because there's a Kickstarter going on. And if you have heard me talk about Marvel United and you're like, oh, I missed all the bonus stuff on Kickstarter and blah, blah, blah. That's all live right now. Go back it. You can get all the, you can't get all the Kickstarter expansions, but honestly, those were the worst value in the first place. But you can get the um, Kickstarter stretch goals from the first two campaigns, plus this one. And those are the best value regardless. Like, they give you the most villains, most heroes. You know, bang for your buck. It's it's definitely a really good buy. There's someone asked on the Discord, um, you know, is it worth it? Yes. For $100, $120, whatever they're charging, um, you get so much content in those boxes that it's absolutely worth it. Just skip out on all the other expansions. You don't need them. Um, and really, you just need one one of those stretch goal boxes would be enough to keep you happy for a very long time. Uh, but someone had posted and I made the mistake of responding. I should never do that. But anytime I respond <laughs> on board game <laughs> geek, I, I have to start talking about it here because the, the premise was the game was too hard and which game Marvel United. And, no. and for those who don't know, uh, we're not going to just talk about Marvel United. We're talking about random setup in general. But all of this kind of comes around to the same thing. This is how we got to this topic. Um, Marvel United is a co-op game that also has, in Marvel United X-Men, there's a 1v all. And now there's actually a you know team v team version in this new expansion. Thanks, Christopher, for pointing that out. But 
his premise was this game is too hard for anyone except for board game geek you know, users who like optimize everything. But for the average person, for the mainstream market, this game is way too hard. And I took, I don't know what the word is. I was annoyed by that premise because I started reading the thread. And the first thing was, hey, you know, pick your villain, then pick your heroes to match the villain. And then you pick the locations that work with it. And the game's not hard. And his response was, no, 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 no. I only play picking everything randomly. And I'm like, but okay, so you're picking everything randomly and then complaining that the game's too hard when people are going on and saying, look, that is not a good way of doing that because when you pick everything randomly, of course, not necessarily of course, but specifically in that game, you are going to set yourself up for failure way more often than success. And that's why the game is too hard for you because your random setup is way too random. And that's what got me thinking about this particular topic, random setup, not only in co-op games, but also in competitive games and how this really can affect our view of these games and how hard or, you know, the strategy. For for example, we talked about Great Western Trail. Great Western Trail has a random setup. They have a default beginner setup. This is where you put your the beginner buildings, but they also have a random setup. And if you're a new player, they do not recommend playing with that random setup because it changes how you have to think about the game in a way that you're not ready to think about when you're when you're brand new. So also, that's where, you don't even know all the abilities and how they kind of synergize and all that kind of stuff. So when it, you have a random setup, that's why like any game with a random setup, like uh, like Settlers of Catan, they say we do not recommend using a random board layout until you've you know kind of are familiar with the game enough. Yeah, and everybody has to be familiar with that game because if you're not like. An experienced player can look at a random setup and say, oh, man, this is terrible. But a new player is just looking at it and be like, okay, I have no idea what's going on. I'm just I don't know do what this thing. means. Yeah. And I halfway through, this game is terrible. I put my piece by this on the next to the desert. That seems yeah. like a great idea. Seems like yeah. an awesome because I, you know, that just makes sense to me. So, yeah. So how do you guys feel about random setups in game? And you mentioned a great one. Catan is a, is a great game to talk about for this because i don't think i've ever done a truly random setup in Catan. i i'll lay out the tiles so so this is what i real truly just random blind you have four deserts all clumped together on one side of the board and you're like okay that looks good is is there more than one desert i thought there was Um, only one desert. not not desert fields fields or whatever four of the same terrain all clumped together Mm. i yeah i mean i have done truly random playthroughs of Catan, so you could have like you know a spot where it's like all sheep are like all clumped over here in this corner. See, I do a mostly random setup. I will put everything out. And if I see anything where there's like more than like two of the same type, I'm like, all right, we're going to swap tiles until there's no more than two of the same type connected. And and that's just, I don't know, for me, it just kind of like spreads it out a little bit more. Because if somebody is like, suddenly is like, I have a monopoly on sheep. I don't know. Although chat's telling me that everyone just plays random. <sighs> John has the oops, all desert expansion. I like that one. <laughs> but, but you can still see how there's a negative, there can be a negative play experience, right? If you do, if you set up Catan all random 
And we all looked at the board and we're like, oh, all the sheep are on one side of the board. We're going to have to definitely get some, you know, we have to have a part of that. And then the new player is on the other side of the board and be like, I don't care about green stuff. They are not going to, they're just going to be in a bad spot, right? Because now they're locked out of a particular resource and it's not necessarily enjoyable for them in that situation, which is why Katan. Because you have trading in that game. And if you're over on the whoops all sheep side, you're going to have way more (laughs) sheep than you need. And that's part of the balance of the game is that you, you have to trade with other players. You have to have that interaction. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it balances out that way because I mean, the player with all sheep, not going to get very far with only sheep. I agree with all experienced players. I agree with experienced players, but if you have one unexperienced player, it can become problematic. Sure, Actually, that's but a- I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't play on a random board with one experience with with someone who's unexperienced. I like that. That is a good solution to it. Um, do you think? I mean, I I love the randomness personally. When you're playing with somebody new in in a Catan game, are you are you helping them pick their first structures? Now it's become a, a Catan uh, podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> those first two. Villages, I did the villages, right? Structures that you place down are so important in the in the beginning of that game. Are you helping them place those or are you explaining the rules and just letting them do their own thing? Like, how do you guys approach that when you're playing with somebody new? Um, I mean, I usually just explain the rules and then if I see them doing something that's obviously bad, like putting it next to the desert, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, you don't want to be next to the desert because they're not going to get anything. Like, yeah, and that two, three, four even if corner you just there, move right over here. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, like if I see something, if I see someone doing something obviously bad, I'll tell them, like, yeah, don't do that move. But um, otherwise, I probably won't say anything. Kitty, you just laugh maniacally. <laughs> no, I, I try to be a helpful teacher. So usually, my go-to move is like, you know, you're setting up the board based on because if I'm playing with a new player, I will use the recommended setup, like. Your first time playing, use this. And as I'm setting up the board, because I'm never organized enough to have it set up before a person is there. So they're watching <laughs> me do this. Um, and I will kind of explain like, okay, so the, these are the different terrains as I'm setting them out. And this is what these numbers mean. And this is why some of these spots are good ideas. And some of these other spots might not be as good. And you can see here, these numbers make more sense than others and kind of giving that explanation as I do the setup and give them some like ideas of like, well, this part here might give you an advantage because of this or this one over here and kind of give them like, here's a few good choices to get you started but you can't go super wrong with any of these ones, but, you know, do what you want. So when do you switch to a pure random setup? The next game? A couple games? Um, I don't know if there's, like, a, a game. It's, you know, it's with a player. It's like, have you played this game before? It's like, oh, yeah, I played it a lot. Okay, have you ever played random? If they, if they said they played the game a lot, like, I don't know. It's just kind of like... But, like, if I just taught them the game... And I just like, we did the beginner setup. We just played through that. Um, I don't know, because I always play Spencer and Spencer's always a big fan of like, he, I mean, we haven't played in forever, for real. Uh, (laughs) But he had like an app that would give you fun setups. Like, so he would always do it that way. 
Um, but yeah, I, I don't like think we that. would do the beginner setup more than once. Yeah, I like the fun setup concept. Um, which going back to Marvel United, I think one of the things that Marvel United needs is scenarios. It needs to say mm-hmm. this villain, this set of heroes, these locations. This is the difficulty in for this particular scenario. Go. Because that allows you to say, okay, I have all these heroes and all these villains. And yes, I know that the you know mixing and matching is going to be harder or easier, but I actually don't have enough understanding of all of what's going on to set up an easy scenario for me or a harder scenario for myself. So I think having an app that gives you like these pre-generated maps seems really cool. Um, Twilight Imperium is another one, right? Where in Twilight Imperium, you can do... A, a random setup. Um, you can do, I think the rules specifically, you place tiles like everyone places tiles. Or you can just say, okay, we're going to play with this map that someone else constructed. Um, and I like all of those options to be available because then you can decide how much effort you want to put into it. When you're playing something like, all right, so we're, we're in a game of Great Western Trail right now. And mm-hmm. if I switch over to that game right now, it's my turn. Um but the way that Great Western Trail works and the way I set this game up, and I'm going to double check to make sure, um, I have beginner mode on. And what beginner mode does is it sets the, there's these neutral buildings and a lot of Euro games have uh, random setup. Mm-hmm. In, in Great Western Trail, there's these neutral buildings that are set out in a way that make it make sense that you'd want to visit them in that order. So the first building is you can hire workers. The next building is you can build buildings. The next one is you can move your train. Um, and each of these, as you go through, allow you, it kind of like eases you in to the different actions that you can do. And you want to do those actions in that order. But when you're playing random, these six neutral buildings, seven neutral buildings are completely shuffled. And they can come up in any order. And you can have the buying workers at the very end of the track when you have the least amount of money. And you have to do much more pre-planning to say, okay, I need to get these workers and I need to save my money so that I can get there with money. And that's not something that's easy to do when you just start out, where in the beginner setup, the last buildings are ones where you don't need any money and you can still do stuff at them. And I find that Kind of a nice, easy way to ease into the game. Um, there's also buildings that you can build, and there's an A side and a B side. And in a beginner game, everyone just starts with the A side, nice and easy. In an advanced game, you could start with everyone start with the B side. In a totally random game, you could flip some coins and say if it's A or B. Everyone starts with the same building. One person flips coins and everyone else matches. But so you can just really mix it up and become very different. And I played a lot of games of Great Western Trail, and I will tell you, the order of those buildings and what buildings you have available to you really change the strategies you can lean into. And I find it fascinating, but when I'm teaching new players, I feel like I should always go back to, we're doing A-side, beginner building setup. Because if I don't, I'm putting them at a disadvantage, and I'm just, it's, it's just not fair to them. It still isn't fair, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that's part of it. You know, like we were talking about with chess, you know, when you're teaching someone a game, it's really hard to find that balance between, like, I'm not just going to let you win, but also, like, just destroying someone and especially, like, 
three I feel like three times in a row is where like my line is. If somebody just absolutely destroys me three times in a row at a game, I'm like, I'm done with this. And like I'm not saying I have to win by the third time I play. I just have to feel like I'm not the worst ever. You have a chance. <laughs> I have a chance. We keep playing Viticulture, the three of us, although I didn't start a new game, and neither did you guys. So <laughs> it was a busy weekend, I guess. We feel bad um, because we beat you three times in a row now. And, and But you did this last game. You came in much closer. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, the one game, you were also super far behind because Sydney just like went crazy that game. She just had like the wildest thing. And then the next game, um, you know... I wasn't stressing about it. I didn't care. I was trying a new strategy because it was you guys. I don't know what it is. Like when I'm playing with you guys, I don't mind. Like I was like, I don't remember what I was doing. Did I get the windmill? I was trying to do the one where you get a victory point every time you plant a vine. And I was like, I'm just curious how much I can use that strategy to my advantage. So I wasn't necessary. I mean, I was like playing to win, but I was playing to win in that way because i was curious to see what it would do and i wasn't that worried about maximizing like my win against you guys i was just like curious how much i could maximize maximize that strategy well and so viticulture is a good one talking segue into you know you don't want to keep playing games if you're not winning but also there's a random setup in viticulture that is based on the players right you have some player agency Mm -hmm. And selecting your starting resources. And I find that that's kind of an asymmetrical random setup. But I really, really like that about Viticulture as well. Because it means I can't just out of the gate do the same strategy every time. Because I have different things to work with from the beginning. I think you can if you choose the strategy of... Because it doesn't... Because with Viticulture, you get like a mama and a papa choice. And I thought like every mama gives you like... I guess maybe one you don't gi- have a choice with mama. One gives you cards, one gives you building and money. Buildings and money. Yeah, so you always have to choose which cards you're getting. But you can with the pop option, you can always just take money. Yeah. You can always just start rich with pop options. So, you know, if that's how you go, you can kind of always do that. And yeah, you're always going to start with kind of random cards, but they're not as important. They're important, but... I don't know. I also just keep getting really mad because no matter what vines I draw, I will always draw the opposite orders. I have all of these white wines and I can only pull red orders or vice versa every time. (laughs) Maybe next week we'll talk about randomness in games because that is actually a really interesting thing, especially for long term um, for those types of things. But back to anyway, I derailed you. (laughs) Back to setup. Um, Yes, back to setup. (laughs) So, yeah, so I think that there are certain setups that are beginner friendly, and I like when the when games point that out. Um, but I also like these variable setups. Like Euro games, a ton of them. In a Euro game, typically you're managing your you're not there's not a lot of output randomness. You're not making a decision and then seeing if it succeeded or failed. You are being given information, input. And then you have to make the best choice. But you know what that choice, you know what the results are going to be. So a lot of Euro games, in order to create a non-static game, where you just play the same game over and over and over, they vary the setup. 
you're going to draw and put different chips down. You're going to draw and put different, you know, buildings in different places, um, such as Great Western Trail. Great Western Trail is another random setup with the number of hazards and bandits on the board and things like that. But that's what changes from game to game. And then it's just how you can react to that. And I think for the most part, I really like it unless I'm always teaching new players and that random setup is always at a disadvantage to new players, mm-hmm. then it's kind of frustrating. Because um, I was like, sometimes I just want to play something different. <laughs> Have I made you play Last Runes of Lost Runes of Arnak yet? No. Either of you? Nope. So. Nope. Oh, man. All right. We're going to make this. This is the game we're going to play during TGTCon for sure. Maybe before. Um, I really, really like it. It also is... <sighs> I'm filling up my schedule over here. So well. if you want to get a game in with me, you're going to have to let me know. I'm just saying, uh, we already have a game together. We can't play multiple games together on the same weekend. That wouldn't be fair. But um, we will play a game. But this is another game that has a little bit of a deck building aspect to it. Um, it's random setup. It's a little bit of worker placement. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like Great Western Trail, but much more minified. Um But again, that has a very random setup feel to it. But there are some staples on the boards that you know are going to always be there. Um, But if it wasn't for that random setup, you'd just be playing the same game every single time. Like, this is the strategy I play. I always do this thing unless someone blocks me from doing it. And then that's the only interaction. You have to see those. You have to have them some randomness in there. Uh, Fletcher, have you ever played Solitaire? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Hey, I, I don't make what's solitaire. Like you know the. I mean, um, to be fair, which solitaire is? Yeah, which solitaire a is a good one. Question. Yeah, <laughs> standard fifty-two card, three at a time solitaire. Klondike. Yes, I have. Is that is Klondike? All right. In um, case you were wondering. <laughs> I was wondering actually. Uh, this game has a random setup, right? And it's sure a solo does. game, mm-hmm. and there are random setups that are completely unbeatable. Mm-hmm. Yes. In fact, I think most random setups are unbeatable. Unbeatable. I, I haven't. I should. I've never I'm googling Googled. the stats on this. Give me a yeah. sec. How many Klondike Solitaire games are actually beatable? Why you can does also anyone... get yourself into an unbeatable state too, depending. Yes. Yeah, and, and I think there are things like you can make mistakes in Solitaire. I am not a Solitaire master. I don't claim to be one. Um, but I do wonder: Can you be good at Solitaire? Can you make strategic moves in solitaire? Or is it all about the random setup? Is it all about just the cards that are dealt to you and trying to make sure you don't miss any opportunities as opposed to making strategic choices? Uh, No, there's definitely strategic choices that you can make in solitaire. And you have to know like what to do and also, you know, pay attention to your board state, right? Because usually you're looking at that like upper right hand corner. And you may miss that um, the upper right hand corner, like where you where your draw pile is for the next card, and you may miss that like the card that you just put down actually completes another combination of another set of cards that you could stack on top of it. And if you miss that, and you and you, another card pops up from your draw tile, and you put it there, then you kind of like block yourself from like revealing the next card or revealing an open space. So you can be good or bad. At solitaire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Kitty, what have you found in your Googling? Um, it looks like about 20% of games are unwinnable. Hmm. But that number is somewhat up for debate. No one's I really done a lot of math on it. I would have guessed a lot higher to that. 
Well, it's hard to do math on it, honestly, because well, the just because the game depends too, on the movie, just you because make. it is yeah. winnable doesn't mean you are going to win because it matters what you do. You right. can create a situation where I could have won this game if I didn't make this move, but I made this move, so now it is unwinnable. Right. So yeah, because you so, could say, okay, this game is technically winnable if you play it at perfect. the beginning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you don't know because the right move might be to skip playing a card yeah. at the beginning and so you can get to it later. But you can't know that. Right. So the the best move is usually to to make the play when you see the play because you never yeah. know if it's not going to come back. But um, I don't know. I spend a lot of time playing Solitaire. <laughs> well, I think it's a great example of a game that is basically the definition of random setup. And... There are more different setups in Solitaire than atoms in the universe. Mm-hmm. Like, it is... Well, yeah. I mean, when you shuffle a deck of cards, that's yeah. also what it is, too. Exactly. It's it's this giant number of different possible setups. Um, Which is actually, crazy if you think about it. If you, get a, if you get a new deck of cards, you just pull it out of the box, you shuffle it a few times, you are probably the only person in the, enti- in, in the world that has shuffled that combination yeah in the history of the world in, in, in the all that's ever shuffled ever now yes. tell us how we're all made out of stardust we are all made out of stardust <laughs> and it warms my heart to think about it <laughs> i think it's i think it is fascinating though that it, it cool. doesn't yeah it doesn't take a whole lot and and when you look at a deck of 52 cards you're talking 52 factorial so 52 times 51 times 50 times Keeps on going down. Um, it is a lot of options. Most games do not have that much of a variability in the setup, but a lot of games can still approach it. It doesn't take a lot of different random elements to create extremely unique boards. I mean, also any game that has cards as part of its setup, like look at Pandemic, that's yeah. going to have so much variability because it is a deck of cards that you are shuffling. Even if it's not a 52 deck that we are familiar with, it's still a lot of cards and there is a lot of possibility. It is very rare that you are going to play the exact same game of Pandemic twice. Yeah. Well, and Pandemic's another one that's super interesting when you're talking about random setup too, because in Pandemic, you flip over your first... X number of cities, mm-hmm. you're going to flip over from the top, and then those are in the discard pile. And now they are part of what's going to be the entire game, which mm-hmm. can be completely different than the last time you played. And that replayability factor, the variation in setting up that game, is the reason you can keep playing it over and over and over and not feel like it's getting stale. Now, I, for me... It, Get still pretty quick unless it's a legacy version. <laughs> but I understand where it's like, you know, if you love solitaire, pandemic is basically solitaire with a board, right? Yep. That you can also Pan- play with four people if you want to. But I don't. And that's what I was going to say is a lot of these games that have super random setups that have the shuffle of a deck of cards that can be played solo. I am much more likely to play them solo that I am to play them with other people or to play a like, I don't know. I, I like this kind of game for solo play. Mostly the, yeah. the more random the setup, the more likely I will enjoy it as a solo experience. 
Yeah. Well, Mike and, and Steve are talking about something like Azul and the randomness changing the puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. So Azul, the, the setup is random every round. You have a new random setup. And you just have to respond to what came out. You know mm-hmm. exactly what's going to happen when you make your move. But the setup is what changes your strategy for that entire round. Yes, but also you know that all of the tiles are going to come out at some point. So you you can play around that in a certain way. Like there's it's random, but it's not like there's probable probability involved because you know how many of whatever color are still left to be picked. Yeah, cuz you always go through the whole bag of tiles. Yeah. At some point, all the tiles will come out. You can see what other people have put on their boards. You can see where they have them. So if somebody has it in their five row, <laughs> um, you know that five of those tiles went into putting that one tile on their board. So there's probably a lot less of those than ones that have been put in someone's one row. Yeah. And, and you can see that all looking around the board. Speaking of seeing it all, Peter just came up with a great variation to Klondike Solitaire, where, because in Klondike Solitaire, you build stacks. You have a, a stack of one, two, three, four, five, and six, right? Six, and then the top cards face up on them. I think it's six stacks. Yes. I think it's six. Uh, so, I'll- but usually all but the top card is face down. If you face, if you put all the cards face up so you could see what was in all the stacks, how would that change your perception of the game? I don't know that it would actually change. It would change sometimes because you might say, oh, I want to get to that ace in the third stack. So I'm going to focus on trying to clear that off. But I'm not sure that the game would be any less interesting playing that way. And you would know for sure. Oh, all my aces are buried. I might as well just scoop because there's no way I can get out of this situation. Um, Which you can kind of know anyway. If you go through your entire deck and you don't see any aces, you're like, okay, all of them are buried and there's nothing really I can do. But... I think that's interesting when you start varying this a little bit. Um, he mentions it would feel like freestyle. And actually, freestyle is the solitaire I like to play. It's freestyle solitaire. I also like spider. Spider is a good, yep, spider's a good one, too. All the things. Well, spider solitaire is kind of how games like um, Seven Wonders Duel works, right? Where you have this, things are covered up, but you can see them. Um, and you have to uncover them before you can choose those cards. So I think that's a pretty interesting thing. And Seven Wonders Duel, again, a random setup. So many of our games have completely random setups. In fact, I would say probably more games have random setups than not. But I don't know what I'm basing that on at all. It just feels like more games have random setups than not. There are seven stacks of cards. Seven. Okay. So, yeah. But, I mean, it'd be interesting to play them face up. See how that works. Um, All right. So now I want to talk about scenario-based games. Um, no. <laughs> please. Sorry. Two two games specifically. First, one that you guys have not played is Cthulhu Death May Die, and one that I've made both of you play. Wait, Fletcher, have I not made you play Marvel United? Um, you played Marvel Champions, one, right? No, you oh. played Marvel yeah, Champions. Played the other. So I played Marvel, Mar- Marvel Champions. I don't think I played Marvel United. No, what is that? Oh my! It's it's another top five game of it, mine. It's fine. it is. You talked about it, but yeah. <laughs> All right, you're going to get another package in the mail in the next week or so. Um, <laughs> so, Cthulhu Death May Die. So many Marvel is, games, I can't keep them all straight. They are a lot of Marvel games, trust me. Um, Cthulhu Death May Die is a scenario-based game. 
you choose some heroes, well, investigators, you choose a scenario, and you choose an elder god. And you put those together, and then you go. If you choose purely randomly, the scenario and, and the elder one that come together is going to create your goal, but your investigators are going to have like their abilities to be able to try to complete that goal. If you choose completely randomly, it is going to be a harder game because you're going to choose your scenario, you're going to choose your elder one, and instead of choosing a team that will work well against that combination, you just choose a random team. This is equivalent in Marvel Champions to saying, I'm just going to randomly pick all the cards in my deck. They'll be valid cards, but I'm just going to randomly put them in there. And I'm not going to pay attention to, you know, any kind of strategy as to like be able to beat this particular scenario. Marvel United is like that, but on steroids. You pick a villain, you pick heroes, you pick locations, and all of those things combined can create just like solitaire, if you pick completely randomly, situations where unless you're playing on the easiest difficulty, you may not actually be able to achieve the goals of that scenario. And this is what stemmed the whole conversation, the whole premise of this, was this is how this person was playing Marvel United. I pick everything randomly, the game's too hard. And my response is you're, simply, You're playing Don't it on do hard that. mode. You're playing on hard mode. Exactly. And you might randomly play on easy mode, but usually you're going to play on hard mode because you're not actually considering any of the strategy of saying, I'm playing against Red Skull. Red Skull's trying to do this, and he's requiring I do this, this, and this in order to achieve those goals. So I'm going to pick a team of heroes that can accomplish those goals. To make it in in more specific terms, um, there's three different actions in Marvel United. You have move actions, heroic actions, and punch actions. If you are required to have, uh, say, 18 heroic actions to beat a particular villain, but you pick heroes that only have punch actions and just occasionally have a heroic action, you're going to have a really hard time. And on average, if you pick randomly, that's exactly the setup that you'll pick. The response to this is, don't pick randomly. And the response to that response was, well, they should design the game so that I can pick randomly. And I'm like, but that kind you of... You can. You can't, you're, right? You're doing it, but it's harder. <laughs> right. Like, you can do it that way. You just can't expect a win rate equivalent to someone who's, like, planning for the challenge at hand. And So my- which one do the rules say you should do? The rules say, specifically, choose a villain, choose your heroes, randomly pick six locations. Now, that's from the core box. And in the core box, there's, I believe there's eight locations. Um, and all of them would be fine. And if you did just that in in the core box, you're going to be fine. It's it's contained enough where you'd have a hard time. If you're playing four heroes, you'd have a hard time pl- you know picking heroes that wouldn't work. But the choose your villain... And choose your hero, to me, is choose your hero and choose your villain, right? It's not random. The locations mm-hmm. is the only thing that's mentioned to be random. Um, now, there's one thing that they put in that core box also that is misleading, and that's challenge modifiers. So you can choose to make the game a little bit harder by removing one specific card from every hero's deck. It can be a little bit harder than that by removing a different specific card. And it can be the hardest by removing both of those cards. And these are wild icons that can serve as any type of action. 
I prefer to play without any of those cards. I play on the most you know difficult as far as that's concerned, but I choose a team that is geared for the villain at hand. If you don't choose your own team, you almost have to leave those wilds in so you can cover those actions that are going to be missing because you didn't actually cr- make a team that would be able to complete the mission. So you just have to get, you know, well, the wild icons will cover you is really what those are for. And I'm wondering, I think they could have approached this, they being Simon, publishers of Marvel United, I think they could have approached this a little bit more directly and saying, look, the villain and hero combinations that you put together will change the difficulty. Same thing with Cthulhu Death Maced Eye. The scenario and the investigators you use will change the difficulty. And if you don't know that going in, you expect that everything's going to be balanced. I can pick any number of heroes and any number, you know, any villain, and it's going to be a balanced challenge. When if you want to have varied characters, you can't do that, right? Because you'd have to have every character can do everything, hence the wilds that are in everyone's deck, um, in order for that to work. And it just doesn't work at scale where certain villains need more of one type of action than another. And is this fair to players, right? Is this fair to say this is a kind of a hidden difficulty modifier in your setup? And if you choose to be a random setup, you're playing on hard mode. But we're not going to tell you that in the rulebook. Like, where, what is your guys' take on that? Um, I don't know. I think it's completely fair. I'm not even sure I would call it hidden, right? It's not in the rule book, but it's obviously you can do it. I don't know. I don't know how K- I feel about it. Kitty's pondering her opinion. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure. Let me, let me rephrase this for you, Kitty. You played a lot of Pandemic. You mm-hmm. have your favorite characters, right? When you play Pandemic solo, you I have your four favorite team. Yes. Yep, you play with your four favorites. If you want to make it harder for yourself, would you... So there's two ways to do that in Pandemic. One is there's actually a mechanic of adding more Epidemics to the deck. Or two, you play with the B team. Both of those make the game harder, right? Mm-hmm. And is that but, is that an understanding you have? only tells me that one is the, difficulty is the way modifier. to make it harder. Right? Yeah. So um, how do you feel about but that? But I know as a player. I, I know. Um... But also, I play Pandemic solo, and I played it in the app. I haven't played it in a while. And you know what I was just thinking of, and I was reminded why I kind of stopped playing, is because it had a whole bunch of, like, unlockable win with this combination, win this way, win by doing this. And I did all of the ones I could, and I was like, now that I've unlocked all of these things, I don't care anymore. So that was a fun way for me to have someone else set the difficulty of the scenario was like the app would tell me like, okay, this is the the thing you're trying to unlock. Um, and I like it when somebody else sets the difficulty for me, which is why I think your um, scenario solution to this issue is a really good one. And I, I don't know that they have to then explicitly state choosing the heroes will make the game more or less difficult because it, it should be clear already. It I don't should know. be. Yeah. But if well, it's not, I, I don't know. Like, what is the publisher's responsibility to, like, if so many people are out there playing this game the way they like to play it and having fun, 
I feel like the publisher has done a good enough job. And if you're finding like one grumpy person on the internet, I can't say I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But I do. <laughs> so Christopher just, I have to say it out loud because, but remember, dot, 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 people are morons. Um, this is true. But <laughs> we all are in our own ways at our own times. Um, I do think that sometimes it needs to be said just to set expectations. Uh, another game that I really, really like, it's in my top 10, uh, Too Many Bones. Each of the gear locks in that game, each of the characters, has a difficulty rating for multiplayer and for solo. And I think it's a one to four dot uh, scale. So one dot, super easy, four dot, super hard. This essentially equates to how strong the character is out of the box. They call it difficulty because apparently if you, you can master these four dot characters and then you just be as good as anyone else. But that's not actually true. Really, it's how good are these characters from the get-go. And they don't hide it. They're like, look, if you play this particular character, it's going to be harder. If you play this character, it's going to be easier. So you get to make those choices. That's part of the difficulty of the game. I think that for something like Marvel United, where you really can't rate an individual character as good or bad, I mean, people do it, but um, it's really... How well they're suited the against a particular the teams, right? It's the combo, it's the team, it's who you're facing. But at the same time, they could rate the villains and saying, "Look, this villain requires this number of heroic actions, this number of combat actions, in order to complete this their objective." And if you choose a team that doesn't meet that minimum threshold, you will not be able to win not not easily anyway. And I think that could help a little bit um the other thing too is a lot of the content in question is kickstarter content and if you're backing kickstarters at you know several hundred dollars for a game you're probably hardcore enough where you can read into these things um but i like simon does release scenarios for zombicide um arcadia quest a few other games i would love to see scenarios released for marvel united so that we can say, here's a hard scenario. Here's an easy scenario. You know, things that have been tested that we know are beatable. Like, that really is interesting to me. Um, like, John just mentions Phoenix. Phoenix is one of the characters in Marvel United that I have yet to play with. Because when you look at her character cards, she is just... Her entire deck is nothing but wilds. Everything she does is wild. and But she doesn't help any of her other team. She's just <laughs> super, super powerful can do whatever she wants, but it's like she's not there as far as the rest of the team's concerned. And she's very so, thematic. It's very thematic. I love it. So strong. <laughs> I did read John's comment though is her deck is wild, not her yeah. deck is all wilds. <laughs> like her deck is wild, okay. It's all wilds that no one else can use. Um so in Marvel United you can always use the um, icons from the card before you, except for her, because all of her icons are blank. Um, but she has a, a static ability that as long as a particular card is face up, um, that you skip her card. So you use the previous card's mm. icons. So she's just always a net positive in the group. And you can always play with her. You can play with her on every single scenario. She's not going to be a detriment, but she's so strong that I don't play with her because of that exact reason. Now, I will play with her at some point, 
but I have chosen not to use her because I'm like, okay, this is too strong. There's also some heroes that like shut down the special ability of a villain. And I typically don't put those two together because like, well, if I want to shut down that ability, I'll just play a different villain. Like, so there's, you have to make some decisions on how hard or how easy you want to make it. And I love that about this game and that number of options. So I think that's why I got overly passionate when someone said, this game's too hard because it doesn't cater to the way I play it. (laughs) I say, shut up. Somebody's wrong on the internet. Yeah. Play it my way and it's just fine. So anyway, that's that's my that's my thing. Um, anything else to think about? How do you guys like random setups in general? Mm, for science, I, like them. I just played five games of solitaire, and I did win four <laughs> out of the five games. So for science, for science, Klondike? that is that is eighty yeah. percent. Yeah, that's twenty percent. So there you go. Twenty yeah, percent you lost. Eighty percent you won. That's that's fantastic. Um, I like random setups in games. <laughs> Um, I think it can extend the longevity of a game that otherwise you might get a little maybe bored with. Um, it can just add more like intrigue. I think. Yeah, I think random setup in general is always good because you can always choose to ignore it if they have like a starting setup and hey, here's your starting setup, or you could do it randomly. It's like okay, I'll do it that one. Uh, Mike mentions it kind of depends on the game. I do agree. Um, and but for most games that have a random setup, um, again, it's random. So if you throw something out there and you don't like what you randomly set up, don't play that game. Re-randomize it and play a different one. <laughs> right? You can you can do that. You can just be like, uh, yeah, we're gonna skip this one. I'm gonna randomize it again. Um, Especially when you're doing something that's gonna take so long to play, like. The longer you're putting into the game, like the less random I feel like the setup should really be, or the less the random setup should affect long-term gameplay. Um, Those are kind of my two cents. And also, I really love solo, highly random games because I love Solitaire, and that's what they are. I'm going to get you um, some uh, Final Girl uh, scenarios. I think you might actually love that game. And I know um, you know nothing about it, but I think you might love it. We've talked about it before, and it actually reminded me a little bit, I think, of Maiden's Quest. Yeah. but I um, mean, they're completely different in every single way. I mean, yeah. Except that it's, it's like you have your, your hero and your villain, and you're yes. playing yeah. a solo game with the resources your hero brings to defeat them bad things the villain has so yep in that yes. way they they sound very similar <laughs> yeah and and they're fun in that way like i like honestly final girl is it's a bit random and almost too hard for me but i still love it and i've actually created a, an expansion myself that changes the final girl so they have skills and it's kind of a cthulhu death may die skill leveling system versus the more generic system they have um one of these days i'll drop that on board game geek but I like my version a lot better. It doesn't make the game easier. It just allows me more agency in how I develop my character. And that's the one thing from Final Girl that I I don't like is that the Final Girls themselves are kind of vanilla. So adding that extra tweak in there really makes it more fun for me. I will say also when I'm playing solo games, 
it is so much easier for me to play a digital version mm-hmm. than a <laughs> physical version because I I just want to cheat. Two plus almost two <laughs> on the way, kids. Yeah. Oh, and you want to cheat? No, That's I, fine too. I just want to cheat. Oh, you want to cheat in person? <laughs> so if it's digital, you can't cheat. I can't yeah. cheat if the computer's like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. But if it's just me, I'm only cheating myself. Yeah. Yeah. Mike mentioned that he just got Final Girl and played it and he's hooked. It's, it is such a good game. The win rate on that one is pretty low and it is so flipping random. But, um, it is, it's a lot of fun and it is beatable. Um, and it, you can get good at it. It's not just all a random luck fest. Um, but in that type of game too, so the scenario games, and that's really what I want to emphasize here scenario setups, whether you're in Final Girl, Marvel United, Cthulhu Death May Die, when you're playing a solo or cooperative game, the scenario you set up is directly affecting the difficulty of that game, regardless of whether, whatever other difficulty modifiers may exist. Just keep that in mind. That is how difficulty is decided in scenario games, is your choices and who you're fighting and who you're fighting with. So I almost think that like a good thing that publishers could do is even if you don't want to create a ton of scenarios or that kind of thing is just make three and call them like beginner, normal and hard yep. so that people can look and see what is the difference in these three scenarios. What are the things that the publishers think make it easier or harder? Yep. And yeah. And those examples are great. Like it's just like, mm-hmm. You know, if you're playing Red Skull, this is an easy team to play. This is a medium team to play. This is a hard team to play. And Mm -hmm. so you can see that they are acknowledging that the selection that you make for the characters you play affect the difficulty of the game. And without doing that, we do run into situations where people are like, well, this game is too hard because I'm playing the letter, not the spirit of the rules. And if I do that... You know, actually, I don't even think this person is playing the spirit of the rules because they're not choosing. They're choosing a villain, but they're choosing their heroes randomly. And the rules do not say to do that. Rules say choose the villain, choose heroes. There's a lot to be said in that choice word, but um, you're not breaking the rules if you're trying to optimize your team. Um, my, one of my responses was Nick Fury didn't just randomly pick eight people off the street to be the Avengers. He picked the people that were going to be able to defeat the task at hand. And that's what you should do when you're playing Marvel United. By the way, Kickstarter's still running for another week or so. Marvel United is a great game. I love it. Everyone should love it. Back it at $65 or whatever the base thing is, and you will not regret it. If you do regret it, email me directly, and I will <laughs> tell you why you're wrong. And he will give I will you do an entire it. podcast about why you're wrong for regretting backing marvel united um wow i know i know i have Me that prerogative. won't be on that episode <laughs> no we won't be on that but, podcast <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to be on the podcast so i can tell you how wrong you are in person just like fletcher and kitty do to be every week um i'm totally up for that too <laughs> all right i think that's enough talking about random setups let's get out of here kitty oh yeah it's me that has to do things now wait christopher (laughs) brings up a good point all right if you back marvel united the current kickstarter 
and you get just the $65 pledge and you open up the base box and you don't like it and you haven't opened up your stretch goal box, I will give you your full amount for that stretch goal box um, and I will pay shipping for it. So there, you have a no no money loss guarantee that you will like it. I will buy anyone's sealed stretch goal boxes for the price of shipping and like whatever you paid for it and I'll, sh- I'll have it shipped. That that's how much I think this game because is because you can resell it on eBay for more than that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You won't lose your money if you spend sixty five dollars. You can cut on out Marvel the middleman and make money on it. Yeah. All right. Now you can probably. Take us out. All, All right. right. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. You can be part of our live recordings Monday nights at eight thirty Central. Join our Discord to continue the conversation. It is also where you can join us and other listeners in a constant stream of online games on Board Game Arena. The show notes have all the links you need, and you can always go to tabletopgametalk.com for more information and to search our growing archive of episodes. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, Michael Finley, Listener Doug, The Gifted Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Danita Hersey, Jim Conrad, Lightning Steve, Gary Bunker, Peter Fleming, Andrew Fayash, John Williams, Sir Sully, Matthew Droke, Timothy, Paul Romer, Nicholas Lotz, Weatherman Keefe, Leanne Verholz, Stephen Judd, Marina Stevens, Ben Gary, Sean Peck, Michael Yanikowski, Jeremy Fisher, Christopher Dong, Terrence Miltner, Richard Yossi, Tolkien Fan Forever, Stephen Falcon, Joe Romero, David Radke, Brian Arnold, Courtney Falk, Ryan Ellett, Dan Seed, Darren McClellan, David Garner, Jesse Wheeler, Charles Pearson, Agnes Toth, Ron Nelson, Aaron Moore, Don Gilstrap, Glenn Cotter, Eric Salander, Adrian Dong, Eric Huffman, Jason Ronnie, Justin Willard, Jerry Wong, Sean P. Kelly, Krista Keel, Monica Witchman, and Michael27. And thanks to anyone who's ever been a patron. Your support means the world to us. Past, present, and future. If you want to be a present patron, we haven't had a new patron in a little while. Be that person. I, t- I call you out at the beginning of the show. Um, be you can check out person. show notes. Be that person. Um, until next week, keep playing games and having fun. So Fletcher, I was going to say in in our post credits that um, you already have it in the mail, and then I realized you moved, and I have your old address. So you're gonna have to text me your new address, and then I can finally click finalize, and I you have will have Fletcher's new address. I'll I, text it to you right now. I should have it somewhere, but uh, yeah, you should. And you're g- you actually attended his yeah, that's true. You, party. You, you showed up my, at, at my new house. <laughs> I'm I'm the one in the group that shows up for things. This is true. I'm not. I'm a flake, and I fully admit it. <laughs>